If you're a guest, a special welcome to you. We are in a series called All In. And about once a year, as I try to bring us back to this idea of why do we gather as a church? What's the reason we show up and meet together, sing, listen to a sermon, have coffee together? The challenge is, is that oftentimes we can forget the purpose or the why. Matter of fact, there's a a principle, I've said this before, many of you know that, the Nehemiah principle. If you go back to the book of Nehemiah, as they were building the wall, it took 28 days and they forgot why they were building the wall. And Nehemiah has to come back and remind them, guys, here's the purpose of it. And that's really the heart of this series, is bringing us back and remind us of principles that church is important. It is a good thing. Matter of fact, I don't think we realize how the benefits of you even being here this morning. I want to show some stats here that maybe point to those benefits. And look at the first one. Do you know that people riding in automobiles, it's approximately 20% where that's occur. Stay away from your car. Okay? That's the first point. Avoid it. But let me put up another one. In the home. About 17% of all deaths occur in the home. You might want to avoid your home. Stay away. Go somewhere else to watch the Super Bowl here, okay? Look at the next one. People walking on streets and sidewalks. About 14% where all deaths occur. But this next one, you really need to stay away from. Look at this one. Hospitals account for 32%. Stay out of the hospital. Okay, that's the model there. But there's another one that the odds are just a little bit different. Look at this one. In houses of worship, where deaths occur, 0.001. And they find that almost all of those have to do with health-related problems. So the motto is, do you see the benefit of coming here this morning? Far safer than anywhere else you could be. Now, you did drive a car, okay, probably to the, to the church here, and you probably didn't walk today. Maybe when you need to start flying to church, it'd be the safest way as well. But see, why do we come? Why do we gather on a morning like this? And realize that there are answers to that. But one of them, there's these fundamentals of what a church is supposed to be about, our intentions. A number of weeks ago, Steve gave one of, one of those foundational issues. It is the Word of God. Are we all in when it comes to this book, the Bible? See, this reveals who God is. It reveals who Christ is. It reveals what love is. It reveals what sin is. It reveals what separation and the answer to that. We, our lives, must be all in in terms of this book. But I also called us back to this idea that the very beginning of the series, I said there is a call in our lives to do something with God. In that sense, the call to love him. When Jesus was asked the question, What's the greatest commandment? His answer was this. And he took him back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in what's called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, there is a call. If you are a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a disciple, that directive is given to us that are following Christ. 
But we'll never do that if we're not transformed. And therefore, we need the Holy Spirit to change us. We need, to, we need to be changed from the inside out. It, loving God is not just we wake up and say, today I'm going to love God. You go, no, it's a little bit more than that. We need transformation to take place in order to do that. Last week, just for a quick review, we asked the question, are you all in when it comes to relationships? You understand, God looks at a gathering like this, and he, and he actually prayed for us. We looked at John 17, and he's praying for the church that we would be one. Deep love, deep unity. A oneness that is modeled by God and the, the Father and the Son. He wants us to be that. And you go, why? Well, in that prayer, John 17, it gives two reasons when oneness actually works. It sings to the world that Jesus was sent by the Father. The world can look at the love that we have for each other and say, huh, God's real. He sent his son. And a second thing, that the Father loves this world. It's John 3.16. As we love each other, John 3.16 is written and it's given to the world in that sense. But there's a challenge for us, and even in terms of the, the community that we live in right now, we want to get better and better. One of the options, by the way, if, if you're not a part of a, a small group, it, we have a Taste of Community group next Sunday night. You might want to take a look at the information center out there. It's an opportunity to kind of understand where we're at in our small group system here. But there is another issue that I want to dig at this morning. It is foundational to the church. Oftentimes you don't hear it in, in one degree, really pondered it. We don't, we don't stop and think about it. But it, it comes really, and it, it's coming from a different angle as to why we gather. Now, I came across a survey here this week, and it was asking that question, why does the church exist? And here's a couple of stats here. 89% of churchgoers would say this, the church's purpose is to take care of my families and my needs. Okay, 11% of churchgoers, the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. 11%. Now, we look at those stats, and they kind of bug us the way it's written here. Now, uh, years ago, when, when Deanna and I lived in Washington for a while, and we moved back, and I, I was taking some classes at, at the graduate level uh, program at St. Cloud State, and I had to take a statistics class. It was the worst class I think I ever took, okay? I hated it, but it was so painful. But there was one thing that I did learn out of that class is that stats can get manipulated based on your question. If you ask wrong questions, you don't get accurate statistics, Matter of fact, the stats that I used, I manipulated them a bit at the beginning of, uh, in, in the introduction here. So even in the, these stat, statistics here, it's about me and my family. While they kind of feel bad, recognize that we come together for relationships. And that has to do with ourselves and our families and, and, and who we are as an individual. We're created for relationship. So understand there's a nuance to it that we got to be very careful of. But here's the challenge for us. If you Google the question, what is the purpose of the church? 
Why does a church exist? You realize that you are going to get a breath of answers. It is all over the board. There is not a consistency. I will say that. Matter of fact, let me just read you some. I don't have them on the screen. One of them said this. Some come off the website, their websites and some come just at other writings. But one church said this. The purpose of our church is where everybody knows your name. What show? Cheers. So they built this big bar. No, they didn't do that. But <laughs> Here's another one. We exist to liberate mankind from poverty, racism, disease, war, and all kinds of injustice. You feel the difference between those two purposes? Here's another one. The purpose of the church is the completion of the kingdom of God. So one person stated, or one church stated. I came across another one from Pope John Paul II. He stated this way. It was to help the believer to realize and fulfill their full human destiny in Christ. Actually, not too bad. Another website said this. We exist to reveal God's love to kids. See, is that the reason why we exist this morning? We come here this morning. Another website said this. We exist to serve people like Jesus served people. Now, one could ask, how does it make you any different than an Eagles group or a Boy Scout club in terms of serving people? Then a number of them said this. God created the church to glorify himself. That is why the church exists. What's the right answer? Well, here's where we need to do some digging here. Because there's a foundational issue that I got to remind you of this morning. And it's a little bit different where you're going to have to put your thinking caps on a bit. And I need to go back to John 17. Not the same text as last week. But I need to have you soak in some consequences of some theology, the study of God. See, in John 17, Jesus is praying a series of requests to the Father, and he's praying for us, the future church, okay? But before I get into the text, I need to have you think with me. So let me put up the first question. Is there something distinct about the entity called the church that only the church can fulfill? Is there something so unique that Jesus had in mind that as he left to go to the cross, or after the cross, and he's looking to go home, that he tells his disciples, go build my church. Now, you got to ponder something here. Just before he leaves this earth, he tells his followers, again, he gives them the great commission to go make disciples. And what do they do? They go to the Cheers bar? No. They went and planted churches. Do you realize that? And they started with the church in Jerusalem, and they spread out and out, and churches grew and multiplied. You understand, this church entity is so critical to what Jesus wanted. But what makes it unique? What makes it unique and different from an Eagles club? Just some organization that's trying to make the world a better place. And I understand this for many people, it isn't any difference. Depending on 
your understanding of faith and what that's about. But matter of fact, I think we live in a world now, they're looking at the church and going, we really don't want you around. We don't like what you believe anymore. But see that question, what, what is it about a church that's unique? Well, let me throw another question, theoretical question, actually. And uh, Larry was actually thinking about this one this morning. If you were God with divine wisdom and power, why would you want to create a universe? How many else besides Larry was thinking about this this morning on the way in here? And we got one back here. <laughs> Two. <laughs> Pretty good. If you were God with divine wisdom and power, why create a universe? The sun, the planet, put people on it that are made in your image. I don't know if we've pondered that question very much. I, I got some answers, though. I think I know. See, if you were God with that kind of wisdom and power, why would you create it? And it's this. You were lonely. And you needed some friends. No, or maybe it's this one. You like to be pampered. And you want servants to serve you. Or maybe you created because you needed to feel a little bit better about yourself. You know, how much better can it get if you have people bowing down to you, honoring to you, giving you glory? Is that why we would create? See, it's really a profound question to ponder. If there is a God, why does, is there anything else at all? Now, some of your brains are going... Can switch it off, okay? You're interrupting my nap. But let me throw you one more question. And it's this. What do you think God was doing before he created the universe? When's the last time you pondered this question? Was God sulking in loneliness? Or was he bored... As I was thinking through this, I think of the times that my kids came up and, and, you know, and said, we're bored. Go create the universe. <laughs> Turn to John 17 this morning. And again, I'd encourage you to use your Bibles to highlight or underline. Uh, I, I think it benefits us when we come back to those pages, when, when we do those things. But this text give some unique theological issues and keys that we need to grasp when it comes to this idea of the church. So let me read it for you this morning. John 17, starting at verse 24. Father, I desire that they, future Christians, okay, also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. 
Now here's where I want to just walk through and give you some theological points here that we need to ponder and really to, to grasp the, the breadth of this idea of why we gather as a church. But you notice that the Father first has given the Son glory. Glory and honor. You could put that word in there. Now, let me give you the first bullet to fill in if you're following along in the outline. I said it this way. The triune God did not need creation to give him glory. The triune God had all the glory that they needed. The Father was filled with glory. He shared it with his Son. And surprisingly, earlier, in, back in verse 22, I'm not going to go there, it actually talks about he gives us glory. It's a profound phrase. But God is not a glory hound. Now, are we supposed to give him glory? The answer is yes. Absolutely. But he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. So let me give you another observation here, another theological truth. The triune God did not create men and women because he needs their love. Look at verse 24. Because you love me before the foundation of the world. There was love going on before the universe came into existence. Before creation, the Father eternally loved the Son. And, and yes, that Holy Spirit was communicating that love. He's the communicator. So understand that the complete fulfillment of a love relationship was within the Trinity. A complete community, if you want to use that word. They are one. God, Father, the Father, the Son, the Spirit need nothing relationally. They don't need us. And realize within that relationship, there was infinite love, infinite joy in that relationship. There was no, you know how we get sometimes to go, oh, I just want to feel loved. That didn't exist within the Trinity. It was perfect love, harmony, oneness, joy. Therefore, next bullet. Therefore, why did God choose to create the universe? God chose to create the universe because he wanted to share his love with his creation. And primarily with mankind who were created in the image of God. We are special in that way. Yeah, there's the physical, tangible things of, of the earth. But man was made in his image, and folks, God created because he wanted to share his love with his creation. But he didn't need us. God did not need us. He did not need this universe. He wanted to share his love. See, it was out of his nature. God is love. God just doesn't love. God is love. And that's why the universe was created. Because he is love. 
And yet understand within that, the universe was created, but he still had that perfect relationship within the Trinity. The universe was not necessary. See, only in the Trinity do we find a creator that's fully satisfied without any reference to creation. See, what was God doing before the before creation. He was in this relationship marked by love. Understand, at times we even look at the other attributes. Did God have all the attributes? The answer is yes. But think of no creation. That term holiness. Is he holy? Yes. Once creation came, it didn't matter before creation Justice, the justice of God. Just over what? Before creation. The sovereignty of God. Many people emphasize the highest attribute is the sovereignty of God. Sovereign over what? He didn't have creation. It didn't matter. What mattered? A love between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Do we catch that? But God also knew something in his sovereignty, in his infinite wisdom. He knew that man was going to turn their backs on the love of God, that creation was going to turn their backs on his love and choose independence. See, mankind rejected his love. And folks, people today are still rejecting the love of God. That's really why they're holding God off. They They can see it. They can actually even see it within a church like this. And yet they want to reject it. See, that independence turned them away from God. And what it did is that in that independence, rather than loving God, it curved inward. And they began to love themselves. They began to worship themselves. Romans chapter chapter 1, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. But let me keep going. Look at verse 26. Very important verse. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now look at that first phrase. I made them known your name. And continue to make it known. What's your name? It's God the Father. He's referring to God the Father there. Realize that one of the key missional aspects of Jesus in his mission was to reveal his Father. Matter of fact, look at John 14. See, the question is asked, they're thinking about this, the God Father in heaven. And Jesus is in front of him. Look at how Philip what he asked here. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father that, uh, that will be enough for us. Jesus replied, Philip, I have been with you all this time and you still do not know me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own. Instead, it is the Father dwelling in me, performing his works. Have you ever come to a place where you said, I want to know God? And oftentimes you understand when we say that, it's really in reference to the Father. And here's what I tell you. 
Look to the Son. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let me keep going here in verse 26. The love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We got to catch this. The same love that the Father is loving His Son, the profoundness of that love. You think of the depth of that love. Perfect. There is no selfishness in that love. Totally agape, totally unconditional. That same love He is loving us with. And you've got to catch this because remember, who is this written to? It's not just individuals. It's written to the church, the universal church, yes, but it's also applied to a church collectively. See, whoever believes the message, now what's the message? It's the gospel. What's the gospel? I would say it this way. Jesus. The good news of Jesus. So let me, let me give you that next bullet here. Important piece. Of, so what there? Look at that. God's love. This triune God. It overflowed. And he poured it into us. Which this incredible thing happened. We were united with Christ. It was a spiritual union. A profound union. See, if you are a child of God, the very same love that the Father has for the Son has been poured into you. Matter of fact, look at Romans 5.5. 5. It states it so explicitly. And the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you have said yes to the love of God, if you've said yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and understand in that there's the understanding of independence in our sin, but when you embraced him, he poured his heart into you. He poured his love into you. And there is a bond, a union, because of the Holy Spirit within us with Christ. You are now bonded with Christ united with Christ. And, and you'll see that all through the scriptures, in Christ, in Christ. It means that bonding with Christ of what happened. But here's where I have one more key bullet here. Look at verse 24. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they, plural, catch that? A group of people who have faith. And again, we could say this is the big C church, Okay. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. What's happening? They whom you have given me. Interesting phrase, isn't it? What's going on? A group of people are being given by the Father and he's giving them to the Son. You catch that? And you go, what's the motive? Was Jesus challenged relationally and he needed a friend? Is that why there was a gift there? 
Or was it because Jesus was lonely then? And you go, no, not at all. Why? Why did Father, the Father take a group of people and give it to the Son? Well, it hints at this in this phrase, because you love me before the creation of the world. The reason that a group of people, the church, was given to Christ was because the Father loved the Son. We are a gift from the Father to the Son. Matter of fact, we are a special gift. And let me fill in that bullet for you. Last bullet. We, the church, are a gift from the Father to the Son because of the endless love that the Father has for the Son even before creation began. And look at this last statement. The Father gave His Son a gift and the gift was a bride. A bride. See, what is the unique thing that no other organization can, can be in terms of fulfilling the identity of a church? No other organization can be the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. We have been united with Christ and we are now the bride. But you've got to also realize now because of our union with him, Christ has a purpose for us. A purpose in that relationship. And let me show you what that purpose really is as he looks at us. And he is in us. Again, this isn't our purpose, it's his purpose. Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5 talks about marriage, but only, it, yeah, it applies to a marriage, but it also applies to this idea of the bride being the church. I want to read the message. Look at how it reads here from verse 525 to 28. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. So that's directed at the husband there. Exactly as Christ did for the church. You catch that? Paul's given a picture of what Jesus is doing for the church, his bride. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in a dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. See, what is Christ's mission for us as we gather together, as we are the bride? It is this, to make us a beautiful bride. But think how that impacts or should impact the way we live. We are part of the bride of Christ. We are a gift from the Father to the Son. Do we catch the enormity of that gift? And it was his doing. It wasn't ours. But think of how we live our life different and the deep realities because of that. Let me just give you some that I put down in the notes there. There's a lot more than this, but just in terms of some therefores. And one of them is this. We come to church not to be forgiven, but because we're forgiven. He's made us new. We're clean. A second one, we gather with a group of people not to earn favor with God, 
but because we are his beloved. That's why we come together. His beloved. A third one. We do not gather together to gain his love, but because he still, he longs to be with us even when sin and ugly rules our world. He still loves us. We're still in, united with him. He's still wanting to finish the task of making us holy. Beautiful. Look at the last one. We do not come together to repay God for salvation with service, but because we answer the call to be a channel for his love to love others. See, why we do what we do is not to repay him back and to serve him because he's done something for us. It's because he's poured his love into us. And now we are united with Christ and it has the capability to be, move out into other people's lives, into the community, into other, our children, to friends, to neighbors. We're a conduit of his love. It's not just we serve him to serve. See that last one. But do you realize that you are a part of the bride of Christ and you have a call on your life to be a conduit of his love? And we're going to go down there actually the next week. But think of that first call in our lives. And I think there's three or four calls, but one of them, that great commandment, like I said earlier, to love the Lord your God. And what's that doing? We're responding to what Jesus, what God has done to Jesus and pouring his love into our hearts. It's a response. It's a response. We are the bride of Christ. And we got to catch this. We are never, never, never to make this relationship casual. And at times I think we get where we forget that we are the body of Christ, but we're the bride of Christ. And when we think of those terms and you say a casual relationship with our groom. Maybe it illustrate it this way. What if I went to my wife, Deanna, and, and said this, you know, Deanna, loving you is optional. I'll try. You know, Deanna, serving you is kind of optional. You know, even just a relationship. Let's just keep our relationship casual. Would you call that a marriage? If that was where I was at in my relationship with her, I wouldn't. But do you catch, catch what's going on here? Uh, worship team, why don't you come on up? See, do we understand the depth of the love of God? Of what he wants for our hearts? Are we to honor him? Yes. Is he transcendent? Yes. But think deeper that we are made in such a way to enter into a relationship that actually meets our deepest needs collectively as a church. Together, we sense the love of God working. 
We sense that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And then the response is to worship him, to love him, knowing that, yes, he's sovereign. He is in control, but that we are his bride. When you look out uh, into the future, you realize uh, what that means is us being the bride, that he is going to bring us into the relationship when we get to heaven. And we will be participating in the love relationship between the father and the son as his bride. And you go, profound. See, heaven is more than just keeping us out of hell. It's so much more than that. He's bringing us into the Trinity. Are we a God? No. But he's into a relationship that's indescribable. But what does it mean in terms of even living then in this world? I think the last two phrases there, you are my everything and I will adore you. That's the call that we have in our lives right now. Is that we need to make, because he is our groom, we are to make him everything in our lives. And he's inviting us to that. And we respond and I will adore you. Why? Because he loves us. He's forgiven us. And I I hope you feel forgiven today. See, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are forgiven. You have and are united with Christ. But maybe you don't know him and you've never really said yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would invite you to consider it. Come and talk to one of the worship team, myself. God wants you to be a part of his bride. This church that he's making more beautiful every day. Let's pray. Father, Father,